Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us. So today on the show, we're going to talk a little about corn leaf diseases and fungicides that you may consider using on your farm. If you've got a question for us, just give us a call here. It's 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. You can email us, radio at agphd.com, or send us a note on Twitter, agphdmedia, Darren Hefty, or Brian Hefty. All right, so when we start talking about corn leaf diseases and fungicides, here's the thing that I hate. And let me, before I get into this, let me just say this. Darren and I have been agronomists for a long time. I've been an agronomist, a full-time agronomist now. This is my 30th year. So 30 years I've been an agronomist. My entire life, I've been a farmer. Well, as a farmer, I want to make money, okay? As an agronomist, my job is to help farmers make money. And I don't mind spending money on things like fungicide if it's going to pay off. But the last thing I want to do is go spend a whole bunch of money and then not have it pay. So we farm about 3,000 acres in South Dakota, and this year we get about 2,000 acres of corn. So if I just say, all right, I got 2,000 acres, let's say that I'm going to spend $20 an acre on 2,000 acres. Okay, so in total, I'm going to spend $40,000. Is that going to give me back more than $40,000, less than $40,000? How am I going to turn out in this whole deal? And by the way, what our dad always used to talk to us about is... If we're going to spend money on something on the farm in a crop input like this, that we, we should do our best to try to double our money. In other words, if we can't double our money, it may not be worth it because we've got to take all the risk. I mean, let's say we have hail afterwards. Let's say that you know something else goes wrong. And even though whatever we sprayed worked, we didn't get the financial payback to it. So he just said all the time, hey... If you can't double your money, I don't know if if I would do it. So we often look at, we want to double or triple our money. So if I'm going to spend $40,000, I would like to get $80,000 to $120,000 back, which would give me a net gain of forty dollars to $80,000. Now, if you think about that in the investment world, you'd go, well, wow, of course I want to take that. But again, keep in mind, there are other factors that could contribute here that don't give us our forty dollars or $80,000 payoff. But anyway, here's where I'm going with all this. My big problem with fungicides is one key point. It's I've got to spray before I see a problem. With bugs and for the most part with weeds, we do the opposite. We scout, we see the bug or weed, we go spray, the weed or the bug dies, and we go, yay, I spent money and I'm happy now that I spent money because I can see the dead weed or the dead bug, and I'm really glad that I did that. looks to me like it's going to pay off. Great. But with fungicides, it's it's challenging because the only way you're going to know is if you leave a an untreated check or untreated checks. And that's kind of what we would encourage you to do if you're considering spraying fungicide for the first time or the 21st time. It doesn't matter. At least somewhere here or there, leave some spots that are untreated because at least then you have some kind of idea as to whether or not this is paying off. So back probably 10 years ago now, it was back when Headline, Headline Amp were really getting going in corn. A lot of people were having great success across Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, a lot of areas that were getting a lot of disease pressure. We were seeing 
gray leaf spot, northern corn leaf blight. I, I mean, a, a number of tough diseases that were really robbing yield. And there were a lot of guys getting good payback on this. So anyway, going back 10 or so years ago, we started doing strips across fields sideways. And the reason I, I bring up sideways is because we had a lot of other experiments going on, but at least we went across, let's say, the back or the front side of a lot of these fields where we were doing multiple varieties. We were doing um, multiple, you know, treatments in terms of herbicide or insecticide or whatever it was. So we wanted to see, okay, when can we get the best return on this? And basically what we found is tassel applications in our area rarely work. When they work, though, it's it can be really good. And when they work, it's usually in the wetter conditions. So the last two years, we've had tremendous gains. Prior to that, probably the eight years prior to that, we had almost nothing. So in our region of the country where we're traditionally dry, we don't have as much yield potential as some of these other areas, and we definitely don't have the disease pressure of some of these other areas, we're not telling you in this area, scout for disease. What we're telling you is pay attention to what the weather conditions are and what your yield potential is. If your yield potential looks good, you're in a wetter season, the odds are the fungicide has a better chance to pay. Because my point is, if you're going to go out and scout for disease, and I guess I, I just wanted to bring this up before we start talking all through this show, we're going to talk about diseases and fungicides and everything else, and I don't care what crop we're talking about. If you think that you're going to go out, scout for disease, and then spray, it's not going to work. You're not going to be happy with the results. Is it possible to stop the disease at that point? Yes, but you can't recover that that yield you've already lost. I think back when Darren and I went down to Brazil, I think it was 2000. 2007. And we were talking to farmers about soybean rust. And they go, oh yeah, we figured that out. It's no big deal. We just automatically spray at a certain point, And then we spray, I don't remember what their timing was exactly, every, every two every or three 21, weeks. Every 21 days. Okay. And part of the reason yep. why, Brian, is uh, there's one farmer I was talking to. I said, why every 21 days? He said, it's the fastest I can get back around to all these fields. I'd probably go even a little sooner if I could just get there. But he said it kind of works out at 21. But anyway, for soybean rust, they sprayed three times automatically. And all of a sudden, they wiped out the disease. <laughs> I shouldn't say wiped out. They they made a dramatic difference, and it wasn't having this big-time negative yield impact like we were hearing about in the United States when soybean rust first got going in South America. So the, the whole point is... You've got to try to figure out when can I, when is the best timing to spray? Do I actually need to spray my crop this particular year? Which product should I be using? And then ultimately, we've got to look at that cost and the return on the cost. So we'll talk about those things as we go throughout the show today. Again, we'd be happy to take your phone call at any point, 844-44-AG-PHD, or send us an email, radio at agphd.com. Stay tuned. We'll be talking more about leaf diseases and fungicides on today's show right after this. With resistance on the rise, fighting disease in corn and soybeans takes a heavy-duty fungicide with super strength. Solera FX from UPL combines two powerful fungicides at full rates for maximum performance and yield. Solera FX delivers more robust disease control with both curative and preventative activity. And Solera FX is now registered for use in wheat. Ask your UPL representative or retailer about Solera FX, a super fungicide whose time has come. Always read and follow label directions. More choices, more money. 
With Bayer Plus Rewards, you choose from our broad portfolio of high-performance products. Earn more money on the eligible products that are right for your farm. And use our new portal to see your purchases, track your rewards, and decide how you want to use them. Visit MyBayerPlus.com to sign in and start earning. That's the advantage of more control in your hands. That's the plus. Success isn't just about maintaining your operation, how you make out for the season, or how much you can get from each acre. It's about doing precisely what needs to be done to feed your crop and grow your legacy. All the way down to the last drop. AgroLiquid Precision Crop Nutrition. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Stop losing money from your stored grain with the Endzone Fan Control System from FarmShop MFG. Hot spots and moisture in your bin can cost you thousands in lost revenue. The Endzone monitors outside conditions to run your fans exactly when you want them to, naturally bringing your grain to ideal temperature and humidity. Master bin management with the Endzone. For more information, visit farmshopmfg.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Our topic today is corn leaf diseases and fungicides. Hopefully we don't see any big corn leaf disease outbreak this year, but you know what? We're catching some moisture. We got pretty nice conditions out there for disease development. At least that's the way Allison Robertson at Iowa State would look at it. You'd say this is a nice year, wouldn't you, Allison? Yes, I would hope. Yes, I'm hoping to see some diseases out there. I I hope to see some too in some of your trials and maybe not out in our big fields. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> okay, now you've been, oh. you, you've been talking <laughs> yes. about a couple already. You were on earlier this year. You said anthracnose leaf blight was out there early this season. I I had read yes. something you were talking about bacterial leaf streak out there, but there isn't a whole lot we can do about that one. What no. about the fungal diseases? Are you seeing anything pop up yet? Not yet. So a tiny bit of common rust. Um, and then also seeing some, um, I've heard of some physoderma um, leaf blight coming in. Um, but no, I I suspect because we're just a little bit too early up here in Iowa, where I am based, right, um, to see that gray leaf spot and that northern corn leaf blight coming in. So um, I'm expecting to start hearing reports within the next couple of weeks. You know, usually once we get to tasseling, then people start to see those. You know, I did get a picture from a grower in Kansas, in northern Kansas, of physoderma this week. And he's like, what's going on here? And I thought, oh, no, here we go. Because, you know, this used to be like eastern Iowa is where I would get the most comments from growers that they had this. Then all of a sudden I had some guys in Nebraska and now even Minnesota and South Dakota, we've been seeing more of this. Do you see more physoderma every year? Oh, yes, definitely. I mean, I, I started here 2004. I don't think I saw Pfizerderma till 2007, and now every year I see more and more and more. So, yes, I definitely think it's increasing. 
All right. Now, one of the things this year that a lot of growers have been talking about is the residue, that they've just had trouble getting residue from the last couple of years to break down with cold falls and just wet conditions. Is that what's playing into some of this? Um, Yeah, I would say so. Um, You know, most of the fungal pathogens that we're dealing with will survive in the residue. Um, And in my opinion, as long as that residue is around, um, it has the potential to bear pathogens or, or, you know, to harbor pathogens. So um, there's a lot of studies that have been shown, you know, that um, if you, the following year, that residue, you can still get disease from that residue. But I think, you know, I think back to 2009 with Goss's wilt, um, and we saw Goss's wilt developing on some fields which had been in soybean the previous year. But when you go into those fields, you still see corn residue. And I'm, I mean, I am certain it's coming from that corn residue from two years ago. So um, I don't have any good data. You know, it's just my gut telling me sure, that those, sure. as long as there's corn residue there, there's pathogens there. Well, it makes a lot of common sense. The, the other thing that yeah. I thought was interesting, you brought this up when you were talking about bacterial leaf streak, that there are other mm-hmm. plants out there that could possibly be host bris- bristly foxtail, yeah. I think was one you had mentioned. Do you see that yeah. being a big deal that if our weed control isn't great, that we give these oh. diseases a chance to break through our rotation? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Because most of these, are, um, you know, you will get some pathogens that are specific to um, a particular host. But most of these pathogens are, are, they'll have a few hosts, you know, so especially if it's, you know, um, bacterial leaf streak, right, and corn and, and bristly foxtail, they're both grasses. So, you know, there's, there's always good potential for, for, for a weed to, to harbor a disease, a pathogen. Sure. Sure. All right. One last question for you. Tar spot. Is this a year that it's going to be a big outbreak? Is it shaping up that way? Or what, what are you, what's your guess? I guess what's your best guess? So I was in Northeast Iowa on Tuesday in my tar spot trials there because um, using the tar spotter app that Damon Smith at Wisconsin is developing, um, I have a beta version of that. And so that had said high risk of tar spot at Nashua, Northeast Iowa for the whole of June, and I went up there, and we we couldn't find any tar spot. And as I was there scouting in the field, not one of my colleagues from out east—Wisconsin, Michigan, Indiana, Illinois—nobody's reported tar spot yet. I haven't seen any reports on Twitter. So I just—I mean, I don't—I I think that's good news in that we're going to get to tasseling, and we don't have any tar spot developing. And obviously, the longer we can hold off that disease and any disease, the better it is for our yields. But um, so I'm sure we'll see it. I just don't think it'll be like 2018 where it was just devastating. You're absolutely right. If we can just hold these things off as long as possible, mm-hmm. keeping that stress off our plants, that's a that's a really good yeah. thing. We're talking with Allison yeah. Robertson here with Iowa State. Allison, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on here and keep us updated as things develop this year. Sure, I will. Thanks for having me, and I hope everyone has a successful growing season. Thank you very much. Uh, 
Let's head uh, another caller here from Iowa. We've got Mark Storr with us right now with BASF. Mark, all right, Allison laid the table out here with all these different diseases we got to be worried about. Now let's talk protection a little bit. When it comes to fungicide protection, what are you seeing this year? Are you seeing any trends towards timing of application? And, and um, what do you, I guess, when you're looking towards that tasseling application, what are you expecting 2020 to bring? Well, Darren, uh, appreciate the opportunity to be on. I was listening to Allison's comments uh, a little bit while I was on hold and interested in her tar spot discussion. Certainly, diseases are always a, it's a wild card. You were where you have to have the host, we have to have the pathogen, and we have to have the right environment. And the environment is always a difficult thing to, to you know, th- that's always the, the one that's the problem. It's unpredictable. We know we have the host. We, we know we have the pathogens. And it's the environment that makes the difference, and you have to have all three of those points on the triangle to have disease. The thing that I always like to stress on corn with tassel, you know, you, your plant basically spends the first half of its life building the factory. It has great uh, defensive traits. But once that plant goes reproductive, it starts concentrating on ear development and uh, and uh, new kernels and reproduction and kind of gives up some of those defensive uh, characteristics that have kept it going as long as we have. And, th- and that's where typically diseases always start after tassel. Uh, there's some other things that kind of go in, in, in line with that. A lot of times we start to see some extended dewy periods as we get a little cooler, you know, environments with high humidity. That's been the big thing right now is we've seen a lot of heat. We've seen a lot of humidity, but we really haven't seen a tremendous amount of heavy dews at night, at least here in central Iowa where I am. So those are all things that kind of lay the groundwork for disease. And uh, again, it's all part of that environment. But over time, what we've seen out of Veltima, our new corn fungicide, uh, you know, I think nationally we're about 12 bushel per yield uh, or per acre yield increase. We got to keep in mind, uh, Darren, most of those were low disease uh, threshold environments. Uh, we see the plant health benefits. You mentioned stress, warm weather stress. These are all things that Veltima can offer a corn plant and, and produce higher yields. And I think the thing that most people are stunned by is the standability. When they're combining a field where oftentimes they've left a check strip or even sprayed cross uh, the field with an airplane or something, it's like you hit a wall of lodged corn where you didn't spray that fungicide. So those are pathogens that you didn't even know were there. And uh, we we scout all the time. But like I tell people, scouting is old news. When you see uh, lesions on a plant, that's what happened two weeks ago. You know, that's when the infection occurred. And unfortunately, it's in the plant. And once it's there, you can't do anything about it. Yeah, and once it's in that plant, you've added a big-time stressor to that crop that's doing so much. Like you mentioned right now, you're in the reproductive stages, and it's trying to to produce yield. And, wow, you don't want anything taken away from that. Talking with Mark Storr here with BASF. Mark, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on the show today, and good luck here the rest of the season. Hey, you bet, Darren. Have a great 4th of July. You bet. You too. You too. Yeah, it's right around the corner here. Looking forward to that. Uh, We're talking about corn leaf diseases and fungicides on today's program. Also taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Wherever you go. 
whatever you're doing, whenever you want. Farm your way with Case IH AFS Connect. Now you can farm, share data, and manage your fleet however, whenever, and wherever you want. Learn more at caseih.com slash farmyourway. Pentair Hypro 3D nozzles are your premier choice for fungicide applications. Syngenta fungicide application field trials have shown Hypro 3D nozzles provide a yield advantage of up to 10% over other nozzles, maximizing the return on your fungicide investment. Learn more at pentair.com slash hypro. Stop losing money from your stored grain with the Enzone Fan Control System from FarmShop MFG. The Enzone monitors outside conditions to run your fans so your grain naturally reaches ideal temperature and humidity. For more information, visit FarmShopMFG.com. More choices, more money. With Bayer Plus Rewards, you choose from our broad portfolio of high-performance products. Earn more money on the eligible products that are right for your farm and use our new portal to see your purchases, track your rewards, and decide how you want to use them. Visit MyBayerPlus.com to sign in and start earning. That's the advantage of more control in your hands. That's the plus. Worried about glyphosate-resistant weeds and grasses in your corn? Unleash the power of new Impact Z herbicide and get the early post-application advantage you've been waiting for. Save $3 per acre when you combine Impact Z with a qualifying insecticide purchase. Go to buy2save3.com for details. Buy2save3 is a service mark and Impact Z is a trademark owned by AMVAC Chemical Corporation. All rights reserved. Impact Z is a restricted use pesticide. Always read and follow label instructions. Oh my goodness, did you see Bob's gorgeous soybean rose? Um, totally. I couldn't believe how clean, weed-free his entire field looked. I'm like, so jealous. I heard he started using this new post-applied residual herbicide called Perpetual, and it's burned down in long-lasting residual powers, making his soybeans like literally the talk of the town. Ah, so Perpetual's his secret. Yep. Talk to your retailer or visit valent.com slash Perpetual to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions. You need a powerful herbicide to fight the war on weeds. Bellum is Rotam North America's mesotrion herbicide, and it fights against the annual broadleaf weeds attacking your cornfields. Winning this battle means higher yields, lower cost to you, and maximized profitability. For long-lasting residual weed control, check out Evinco, Vilify, and our newest mix, Rixa. For application, flexibility, and season-long control, that's Evinco, Vilify, and Rixa, powered by Bellum. For more information, visit bellumherbicide.com. That's B-E-L-L-U-M herbicide.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting today uh, live, talking about corn diseases and fungicides. And you may be thinking, wait a second, I don't have any disease out there, do I? Well, I don't know. Let's ask some of the experts here is one of my thoughts. We've been getting a little bit of feedback, and, and we've heard a few growers saying, you know what, I'm starting to see a few things out there. Uh, we've got Tamara Jackson-Zims with us right now with University of Nebraska down at Lincoln. Tamara, are you getting many calls like this? Are you seeing much disease out there yet? Well, we're mainly seeing some bacterial leaf streak, uh, just a smattering here and there of a little bit of northern. I haven't even heard a report or seen gray leaf spot yet in Nebraska, but I suppose there could be some around. 
How about Physoderma? I got a picture just earlier this week from a grower just across the border on the Kansas side. So it wasn't in your state, but but very <laughs> close by. And he had some Physoderma already showing up. That, you know, not a big surprise. We've seen some Physoderma in the last few years, sometimes pretty severe depending on the hybrid. Uh, Physoderma, remembers a fungus that needs wet weather. And in Nebraska, we're pretty dry in places, except we've had a few downpours. So I bet we've got a smattering of physoderma around, too. We've had a few questions about common rust. And I'm wondering, are you seeing any of that in Nebraska? And if, if even if you're not, what would you say to a grower if you said, you know, I'm seeing a little common rust out there. Is that a big yield robber? Is that something you're really worried about? You know, in dent corn, we're not usually worried about common rust, and and we are seeing just a little bit of that out there, too. Common rust likes the cooler temperatures. That's why we tend to see it earlier in the season. But most of our dent corn hybrids have some natural resistance to it, so we don't normally need to treat for common rust. All right, last year we had quite a few stock issues and stock rot issues out in fields. Do you anticipate 2020 being a year we'll see more of that? That's boy, that's a little that's a golden question, isn't it? So, a little hard to tell cuz there's a lot of things that can lead to stock integrity problems. Last year we had a lot of wet weather, a lot of ponding in fields and uh, probably some leaching of nitrogen, so any of those types of stress can lead to some uh, stock and standability issues. Uh, this year, it's hard to tell. We know drought can too. Uh, and so in some of those places, if that gets worse, we might see some stock issues. But it might be a bit early to tell yet, unless we have a flush of disease later. Uh, that can also help drive that. Yeah, you don't don't know what's going to come up later, that's for sure. Uh, we're talking with Tamara Jackson-Zims at University of Nebraska. Tamara, you had an article last month about growers not necessarily identifying the growth stages right on crops and not getting applications done timely because of that. Do you see foliar fungicides, this being a big key, and are there uh, a couple of a big call-outs that you had that you got involved with, with that research in that article? Well, you know, the primary concern, I would say, is with some of our herbicides because we know that there's potential for damage. But I don't want people to forget, too, that there are some vulnerable stages that corn has, especially that V12, V14 stage, where it actually, that plant's determining ear length. And we know that products applied, no matter what kind, if they contain certain adjuvants like some of the surfactants like NIS, we know those can have an impact on ear length and uh, lead to some arrested ear development. And so there is a reason to be aware of what the exact stage is when we make applications. And some fungicide labels recommend leaving out the adjuvant if you're in or near those crop stages. Yeah, it's a, it's a very important time in that plant's growth cycle, and we've got a lot of crop that's there right now. We're talking to Tamara Jackson-Zims at University of Nebraska. Tamara, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on, and uh, we'll probably check back in a little later if we start seeing some disease popping up. Sounds great. Thanks, everyone. Have a great year. You bet. You as well. All right, so Darren, just to kind of wrap this up, when we're talking about leaf diseases really in any crop, my biggest concern anymore 
other than obviously we got to make money and we'll we'll talk a little more about that. But my biggest concern in terms of the efficacy is do we have the right product for the right disease? We're seeing a lot more resistance to the strobes, the strobilurin products. That would be like Headline, Quadris, Avito. So anything that has those modes of action, well, you might not get a lot there. You might not get control of your disease that you're after. So then you say, well, I've got a two-mode-of-action product. That's no problem. You're right, except for the fact that now you only are left with one effective mode of action. So this is the reason why a lot of people are talking about going to three modes of action or they're, I mean, in a premix, or they're mixing their own to get themselves three different modes of action. So, for example, one of the best things we've done on our corn here in the last couple of years has been a combination of Fortix and Preaxor. And with the Preaxor, you've got, yes, a strobe in there. I get that. But you also have an SDHI. With the Fortix, you've got a really good triazole in there. So when you have triazole, SDHI plus, then one of the strobes, well, now I've got two effective modes of action out there. So it's just something that we want you to be thinking about. It's the same thing we talk about with weed control. We don't want to have resistance. Resistance causes many problems down the road for not only us, but sometimes our kids and maybe grandkids. So let's think about trying to preserve the modes of action that we have by using multiple modes of action. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean you have to spend more money, but you got to think about this and talk to your agronomist. But there are lots of options out there, many different choices and ways you can get it done relatively cheap. Now, speaking of cheap, I'm often thinking about cost, and I mentioned this right away in the show. I'm thinking about cost because I'm thinking about net return. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean I have to go with the cheapest product. For example, with corn, there's the new product, Veltima. Uh, Mark was talking about that earlier in the show with Darren, and I would just say this. The trials we saw last year with Veltima, even though it is the most expensive fungicide on the market, the trials looked really good and we were getting good returns on the investment. So I'd at least be trying a little bit of that. I would also be trying low cost options. I'd also be looking at, hey, what can I do to get this sprayed myself? So for example, on our farm, rather than going at tassel timing, we're spraying ourselves at, well, basically right now, call it V8, V9, something like that. And yeah, we have to leave the adjuvants out at that point when we're spraying pre-tassel because we don't want arrested ear development. We, we want to make sure we're not causing damage in that plant. But there's no reason why you can't spray at this kind of timing. Well, then we can spray it ourselves. When the corn gets tassel timing, a lot of times that corn is so big, so tall, we just can't get over it with our, our big sprayer. And then we have to call the plane in. And there's nothing wrong with a plane or a helicopter. They do a nice job. It's just that it costs a little bit more money. We already own the sprayer. That's paid off. And so all we have to do is run out there and uh, and take the time to get it applied. We've got a 120-foot boom. It doesn't take very long. So we go ahead and do that, and we've cut our cost down a lot. So you think about it. Let's say that I'm going to spend 10 or $12 on a fungicide, maybe 15 Okay, if let's say it's $12 and I got to spend $8 for a plane, well, my goodness, that's $20 in total. So now you got to have a lot more return as opposed to if I only spent the $10 or $12 and you figure just a little bit for your labor to run out there with the sprayer that, like in our case, is already paid off. So when you start talking economics there, makes a big difference. And all of a sudden now I go, well, wait, if my cost is almost half, I am a lot more likely to spend the money 
because they got a lot better chance to get a good payback. So these are the kind of things we look at all the time and we're talking about. I'll, I'll say this, in the western corn belt here where we farm, we've had real good luck with V5 to V7 kind of timing. And now, like I was saying, we're pushing that a little bit later. We're going V8, V9 mainly so we can treat the ear leaf. We want to make sure that we're covering that ear leaf on corn. That's the most important leaf on the corn plant, and it will be out at V8, V9. We've got a better chance to cover it then and a better chance to protect yield then, and so that's what we're doing on our farm. I'm not saying, you know, it's necessarily for everybody. We liked the V5 timing because we were combining the fungicide with a herbicide, and we were usually running pretty low rates, spending five, seven bucks, something like that, no big deal. So anyway, these are some of the things that we want you to consider for your farm, and if nothing else, at least be trying some fungicide this year to see if it will pay on your farm. Well, stay tuned. We'll get to your questions in the Ag PhD mailbag next. Oh, my goodness. Did you see Bob's gorgeous soybean rows? Um, totally. I couldn't believe how clean, weed-free his entire field looked. I'm, like, so jealous. I heard he started using this new post-applied residual herbicide called Perpetual, and it's burned down in long-lasting residual powers, making his soybeans, like, literally the talk of the town. Ah, so Perpetual's his secret. Yep. Talk to your retailer or visit valent.com slash perpetuo to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions. You deserve to have a building that will last for generations. With more than 110 years of experience and thousands of satisfied customers, Morton Buildings is the industry leader you can trust. Unlike other construction companies, you work with Morton Buildings craftsmen. From conception to completion, there's no better time to buy. Lock in your new building for 2020 today. Contact your local Morton sales office or visit mortonbuildings.com. When it comes to commanding herbicide formulations, you know New Farm. New Farm brings you Panther SC, an animal when it comes to speed of control and long residual on a broad spectrum of tough broadleaf weeds like mare's tail, palmer amaranth, and water hemp. And did we mention convenience? Panther SC works in pre-plant, pre-emerge, and post-harvest systems and keeps your rotation options open. New Farm and Panther SC, here to help. You're all set with the 4x4 turbo diesel truck. How about some options? Spray and bed liner? Absolutely. Tailgate step and nerf bars? Gotta have them. Tie down hooks and stainless steel toolbox? You know it. Tinted windows? Of course. Options are good. That's as true in the field as it is with your pickup. In addition to taking care of tough weeds, new Open Sky Herbicide gives you more rotational choices than ever before and an easy-to-handle formulation. <laughs> Gooseneck toe package? Yep. Discover more Open Sky details at openskyherbicide.com. If you're looking to get the most out of your foliar nutrition and fungicide programs, ask your ag retailer about Nutex EDA from Sipcam Agro. Nutex EDA has been proven to increase foliar micronutrient tissue levels and maintain those levels for an extended period of time. When tank mixed with fungicides, Nutex EDA helps support plant health, resulting in higher quality and yields. Nutex EDA is an affordable and effective solution that should be part of every grower's high-yield toolbox. Each year brings new and unique challenges to farming, and your operation needs to constantly adapt to meet them. That's why at AgBiome, we're working every day to bring you new and better solutions, microbial-based solutions that protect your crop and help it reach its full potential. To learn more about how we're doing it, visit agbiome.com. That's A-G-B-I-O-M-E.com. AgBiome. 
feeding the world responsibly, partnering with microbes for human benefit. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Been talking about corn leaf diseases and fungicides on our show today, but taking your agronomic questions as well at 844-44-AG-PHD. You can email us, radio at agphd.com. You can even find us on Twitter, agphdmedia, Brian Hefty, or Darren Hefty. Let's head out to Wisconsin. we got Paul on the line with us right now. Paul, how are you doing? I'm doing excellent. How are you doing? Pretty good. Pretty good. What's your question today? Well, um... I'm in the process that I want to buy a farm, and uh, awesome. And uh, but my question is, I got three options. One is in Vernon County, the other one is in Crawford County, and the last one is in Grant County. And my question is, which one of those counties has the best soil, or where can I go to research that kind of information? And I'll take your answer up here. Okay. Well, thanks for calling in today, Paul. We appreciate that. Um, I, I would just say this. Number one, we are not big believers in the crop ratings, the soil ratings that are out there and buying land based solely on what anybody says the soil type is. The reason why is because we've been able to prove over time that we can take a lot of, a lot of soils and turn them into very productive fields. Now, I, I, as, as I say all that, if you still want the local information from the, uh, the soil surveys that have been done and crop productivity ratings and that kind of thing, there, there, there are those pieces that are out there. So in Wisconsin, for example, you, you could just go and talk to your extension service. You could also go and talk to your NRCS people, and they would have some of that information for you. What will be more helpful and what I often encourage people to do is talk to whoever is selling this ground and say, look, would you mind if I I run out there and just pull some soil cores and send it in for analysis? And in most cases, they're just going to say, yeah, that's fine. It's no big deal. But if you send some soil tests in, then you're going to really find out, okay, how heavy actually is this soil? How much fertility is out there? How much organic matter is out there? And then also, when you do a site inspection, a field inspection, then you're going to get a good idea in terms of how hilly that soil is, how well-drained it is. You got to find out, do I have tile already in that ground? And then, you know, one of the big factors, I'll be honest, for most farmers, they look at one thing when they're buying land. How close to home is it? Now, yes, the price may vary depending on if they consider it, as our dad used to say, junk ground or good soil. But the point is location, location, location. That's always the factor when when you're talking about real estate in almost any industry. So I, hopefully we've given you a few things to think about there. But yeah, I wouldn't get too hung up on crop productivity ratings or too hung up on, well, this county in particular is that much better. I would really try to analyze each individual piece because I can tell you, like in the county where I farm, I, I think we have some great soils. There are also some fields I would not want to spend money on. You can go to some of the best, some of the counties with the highest crop values in the world and the highest land prices in the world. 
I'll promise you in that in each county, you're going to be able to find some ground where you go, yeah, this just isn't worth near the money that some of these other fields are. So really give that a lot of thought. Spend time. It's just like anything else. The more you do your homework, the better chance you have to make a good investment. All right, well, let's get now to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's now mailbag time with Brian and Darren. All right, Brian had uh, some feedback. We had done a little piece on cover crops, and Darren had a feedback. He said, after watching your show, I decided to try a cover crop last year. So far, it's growing my best crops. It's on my sandy ground. And he said, thanks for another great show. Always packed with a lot of great information. Hey, yeah. Darren, thank you. We really appreciate that. I got several cover crop questions. Oh, okay. So it wasn't really a question. That was just a comment that he had. Okay, then I got one from... Jonathan, and he said, uh, good day, Brian and Darren. Each season I plant soybeans as a cover crop, and I hope to get at least 60% nitrogen into the soil. I'd like to try crimson clover. Wondering how they compare. What are some benefits I'm going to get from the crimson clover besides just the spectacular field of bright red flowers? Yeah, that is kind of pretty to look at. Well, crimson clover does establish pretty fast. Uh, It does a pretty nice job at the erosion reduction, and that's where we see a lot of guys putting that one in. It gives you a little diversity, especially if you're in a corn-soybean rotation. So, uh, yeah, it's it's a broadleaf, but here you go. It's not soybean, so it's something a little different. It's a really good host for pollinators, and normally you'd expect to see a decent return on investment by increasing some soil organic matter for the long term as well. So, yeah, a lot of different benefits with each of the cover crops, and, and that's, that's certainly some things on crimson clover. And then Travis had a question, too. He said, we've been trying to interseed into our cash crop, which is corn, the last couple of years here, an interseeder drill designed by Penn State. First couple of years, we had little success, but nothing great. Uh, we switched from Italian to Italian rye instead of cereal rye. Um, there's also radish, turnips, and a couple other things in there. Now, we're trying to get feed for our cattle coming off of grass as the main goal and weed suppression. And this year it looks really good. We did it at a little different time, and the timing is really the key that we found. If we get it done when we still are getting enough sunlight through before those rows close up, that allows us to be more successful. Hey, Travis, thank you for the feedback on that. We really appreciate that. We get a lot of questions, a lot of feedback about um, cover crops and and different potential ways to use them for, for your success on the farm. And yeah, we just always encourage you to try them on a small scale first and experiment with things and then, then work your way up from there if you see success. Right. And the reason why you want to try it on a small scale is because it is very common to have failures with cover crops, exactly like he was talking about with the interseeding, for example. So I'm not a believer in interseeding because quite often, even though you might get it started, well, let's think about that for a second. If you start it too early, well, now you potentially could hurt the yield on whatever crop you're raising. So that's not good. And if you, I mean, whether you start it early or you don't, eventually if the cover crop is getting shaded out, it's not going to do well and a bunch of it's going to die off. So I just always talk to people about like literally the day you are combining, harvesting that crop, just go in and and drill in with a good drill and get good seed to soil contact your cover crop. And I realize, yep, you're not going to have stuff growing day one, but that's a much better way to make sure that the seed you plant actually grows and does well. 
So yeah, I'm just, I am not a big believer in interceding. I would also say, <laughs> I, and I can, I can only imagine some of the, as people heard what he was using for cover crop and they heard Italian ryegrass and they go, what? That's our number one weed problem on the farm. He's going to seed it in. Yep, that, that's just the way it is. I, I think often with cover crops about, okay, how am I going to kill that long term? Let's say that I switch things over and I want to raise a small grain and now I've got Italian ryegrass on my farm. Uh, that that worries me a lot. Or just like the crimson clover deal. I, I don't I don't mind if you want to try different ideas on what could you possibly raise as a cover crop. That's great. But we always have to be thinking about what's my long-term rotation going to be and how do I kill that cover crop when some continues to germinate for 5, 10, 20 years down the road after I raise that cover crop? How do I control it? And if I don't have a good way to control it, then I'm going to lean pretty hard against that cover crop. Part of the reason why is you just have to think about this. Cover crops don't make you money in the short term. Actual crops, cash crops, do. So, like for me, my priority, uh, my top priority is always going to be the cash crop, and that's going to be my number two priority, three priority, all the way down the list of about 100, and then comes cover crops. Now, again, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying cover crops are bad or they can't help you or they can't make you money long term. They can. They can do all those things. But we just have to really think about our cash crop and make sure that we got enough revenue coming in in the meantime while our soils are getting built up, erosion's reduced, and all these other great benefits to cover crops. We we just have to make sure that we're turning a profit. So that's why Darren says start on a small scale. Make sure you can actually prove it out that it's going to make you some money, that it's not going to have any big negative impacts out there on your soil or your next crop uh, you, you, you just especially right now when times are kind of tough for a lot of farmers we can't make big mistakes so just take it slow if you've never done cover crops before and know what you're doing before you move on we'll get back with more of your questions right after this stay tuned Customer service goes a long way when trying something new. Ryan Shaw from Michigan shares how Soil Warrior helped him transition to strip tillage in his operation. The Soil Warrior guys, they are amazing to work with. They made this jump in this transition extremely painless. One question that I get all the time is, how is the service and everything? And I said, well, actually, I get better service from them than I typically do my dealers uptown. They're just amazing. More info at SoilWarrior.com. Hey Adam, new drone? Not just any drone. I mounted a laser on it to take out weeds. Look out for that tree! In the power lines! Oh, it's in for the house. There's a simpler way to protect spring wheat from weeds. Perfect Match Herbicide. The broadest spectrum weed and grass control in one product. Learn more at perfectmatchherbicide.com. Always read and follow label directions. The laser. With resistance on the rise, fighting disease in corn and soybeans takes a heavy-duty fungicide with super strength. Zolera FX from UPL combines two powerful fungicides at full rates for maximum performance and yield. Zolera FX delivers more robust disease control with both curative and preventative activity. And Zolera FX is now registered for use in wheat. Ask your UPL representative or retailer about Zolera FX, a super fungicide whose time has come. Always read and follow label directions. 
heat, drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltima fungicide, swift activity, with fast payback, an expanded application window. <sighs> Makes life simple, and it's the secure choice with powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, simple, secure. Veltima fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltima fungicide is not registered in all states. Success isn't just about maintaining your operation, how you make out for the season, or how much you can get from each acre. It's about doing precisely what needs to be done to feed your crop and grow your legacy all the way down to the last drop. Agro-Liquid Precision Crop Nutrition. Apply less, expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Find your full potential and increase your bottom line with branded generic pesticides from Atticus LLC. Atticus offers a vast portfolio of branded generic fungicides, herbicides, and insecticides for row crops. Atticus puts grassroots experience and common sense logic to work to make product selection easier and on your terms. Growers across the region count on Atticus for relevant and reliable products that deliver results every time. Ask your local retailer about Atticus products and visit AtticusLLC.com to learn more. For value-based solutions you can trust, turn to Atticus. Always read and follow label instructions. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. We're taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844 44 Ag PhD. Let's head up to Saskatchewan. We've got Gary on with us right now. Gary, thanks for calling. Thanks for hearing me. Calling about uh, some interesting soil test results we got back. Uh, this whole area for a big area is known to be high pH. Always found that to be the case. Even in our grid sampling, it's very rare to find a spot that has pH below seven okay uh but we've always tested uh in the fall i guess you would say or usually uh we did some testing in the seed row last week and uh two other neighbors did the same thing in the seed row and we all got back low ph yep like six yes that's very common and what what ends up happening is plants will with their roots they will put out organic acids and the reason why they do that out of the roots is they're trying to chelate nutrients they're trying to make nutrients that aren't normally available at a higher pH more available so yeah that's that's real real common and if you would have tested I, if if you would have called me and said hey I'm going to do this I would have said hey while you're at it pull some tests in between the rows or where there isn't where there aren't a whole bunch of plant roots like there is in the row and most likely you're going to find in between the rows it's going to be similar to what you normally would have it's not that it's a time of year and i i'm assuming that's where your question is like hey does this normally happen is it a time of year thing what's going on no it's simply a root mass thing and if you have more roots you're going to have more organic acids getting kicked out this is also why we talk sometimes about soil compaction so this is something that had happened to us on our farm where we, we used to have lots of compaction issues and about the top 
two or three or five inches. It was terribly low pH because that's all our that's where all our roots were. We didn't have good root systems going down into the ground, and so all those organic acids got spread out in a small amount of soil instead of getting spread down a little bit deeper through the soil like we would like. Okay, interesting. Yep. Um, one other uh, completely different topic, but you were talking about cover crops and people getting excited about them. Yep. It's... Uh, it's human nature to follow fads, I think. Yep. We uh, have something similar to that going on up here where uh, our government officials are all excited about uh, paying us people's hard-earned tax dollars to seed uh, down our saline areas to uh, to grass. Yep. Um, and then I brought up to them, why won't you, if you want to spend money on because you think you need to help us, why don't you put this money towards tiling research? Right. Well, she just said to me, forages uh, make my heart happy. <laughs> I don't want any to hear anything about mechanical disturbance of soil. Right. Yeah, it's all ridiculous. So, you know, really I, and I'm not saying that putting grass in saline soil is bad. I'm simply saying that's a short-term Band-Aid approach, and you haven't truly fixed anything. Because sooner or later, you got to make money on the farm without the government payment. And when the government payment goes away, then you're going to go, hey, wait a second here. I'm not making money on this grass. I want to plant some crop. And as soon as you plant that crop back there, then you've actually got to produce something good. Because even, by the way, if you wanted to make money in the grass, you're still not going to make money in the grass because the grass doesn't like the saline nope. either but at least it's not going to completely no, die so and it's so simple to fix saline issues saline is just simply a, a, a product of poor drainage so you fix the drainage and that problem is done now you know the same government official well they they might want to talk about uh, how they don't want uh, Gary tile. shame on you for bringing up drainage here with Brian now it's going to take the whole rest of our but, show you should know better but no seriously I mean if you, the same government official it, you know they, they might complain about it in our fields but why don't you say you know what how about this how about we take the tile out away from your house and let your basement constantly get flooded how well would they like that well they wouldn't like that at all they're not going to put up with that well of course not I mean now think about those of us who are trying to make a living out here and we can't have good drainage i mean it's it's preposterous so i i mean it, it, it really is yeah. but you know when you say that word profit it's just gotten to be a dirty word and i i just don't understand why people are upset that you want to work hard make a profit and the whole country will benefit from your hard work <laughs> I just don't get it. Yep. It's 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 crazy times right now. And, you know, it's going to get back to everybody's going to think more about how, how do we do a good thing for people on the social issues side? Well, where you help people on social issues, you've got to have money for them. You've got to produce jobs. And if you have jobs, hey, then a lot of issues go away. But you can't have jobs yeah. unless there's something that makes money. Well, as farmers, I mean, believe me, I'd hire another person on our farm if we were more profitable. 
Well, it, it's sure. so easy. I, I I mean, I can create jobs by putting tile on the ground. I then can become more profitable. So then I can hire somebody else long term on my farm. And I, I mean, this in the end is what really fixes social issues. So rather than giving handouts, just like you're saying, okay, the government's going to give you stuff, give you money for doing something that's not profitable. Well, you can't do that very long. It's just like here in the United States. I mean, we're, we're working on this trillions of dollars of debt that our country has why are we doing that let's do stuff that makes money the, the trouble with that handing all the money out is after a while you run out of money and uh, you <laughs> yep put down all the people that that wanted to make it but you didn't let them alone to do that yep i agree all right well we could talk political issues all day <laughs> gary <laughs> but thanks a lot for the call really appreciate it good luck to you up there thank you Bye. you bet all right darren what else you got for questions over there uh, got, let's see, got, got one that just came in here too. I'll, I'll better jump into that one. Uh, this one is from Brian in Southwest Oklahoma. He said, I've been continuous no-till for 12 years. Main soil types are silty clay loams. Yep. Uh, the rotation we've evolved into is triticale planted in early September, grazed all winter, and then terminated in early April. Cotton is planted in June, then interseeding triticale in the cotton in early September, which again is grazed out through May. Sure. Now I'm looking at introducing tillage back in following the graze out crop. Tillage would consist of one pass of chisel plow, then one pass with sweeps and harrow prior to planting. Main reasons to do that, decreasing chance of herbicide resistance, reducing fallow cost, help with perennial grass control that the herbicides are struggling with, and to smooth the fields up. What's your opinion on this? How often could we do tillage without losing the benefits we've gained over the past 12 years in terms of soil structure, organic matter, and so forth? I think it was the University of Nebraska that came out with something fairly recently. I, I was, let's see, I'm trying to pull this up. Yep, I got it right here. There was an article in, and I'll give them the credit for this, Successful Farming. This is back on February 7th. You can look this up, and it says, Occasional tillage may have a place in long-term no-till. Nebraska research shows that strategic tillage won't hurt soil structure, helps remediate problems. I say this all the time, too. I, I mean, I... I there are some things, like yesterday in the show, for example, we were talking about the immobile nutrients. Phosphorus, zinc, potassium to some degree, copper. There are a bunch of these nutrients, and we put them out there, we broadcast them, or we might band them, and they're, they're, they're really getting in limited areas. And if we just every once in a while could go even some things up, level the ground off, uh, stir stuff in the soil, every once in a while, that can have some benefits. I'm not saying every no-tiller has to do tillage, okay? I'm just simply saying I think you can. And in their study, let's see, what did they say? Once every five to ten years, I think is what it was. But anyway, you can certainly look that up for yourself if you would like to, but that was a recent Nebraska study that was done. Uh, yeah, we, we have done a lot of no-till over the years, a lot of strip-till over the years, I, I, there and conventional till. There are benefits to each one of the systems, but I, I, I don't have any big issue with you doing that. I think if you do that once every five or ten years, you'll be in pretty good shape. I, I, I mean, there are definitely benefits to no-till, but you're not going to lose all of those by just doing some tillage every once in a while. All right, thanks for the question. Got uh, one from Ryan. He said, if you're using Enlist One alone, would you recommend 17 pounds per 100 gallons of ammonium sulfate? No. I would do nothing. I'd just go spray Enlist One all by itself, put nothing with it, and you're going to be fine. 
Okay, then another one from Jeff in Minnesota. He said, I had some dicamba drift on my Enlist beans, they say it's going to take 10 to 14 days to grow out of it. Yep. Would you recommend spraying a growth promoter, growth regulator to try to perk them up? Mm, I, I would. Know. I would try it. I wouldn't just sit and wait two weeks. I'd try and get them going if I could. You could try. Nothing else you learn because guess what? If there's dicamba sprayed anywhere near you next year, you may have the same thing. So at least you know what's going on. Hey, thanks for the question, Jeff, and good luck. Thanks for listening to our show today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.